A bit of self-reflection today as well. Excuse me while I sit. My back won't survive the 40 minutes of standing up. Oh, sorry, did I say 40 minutes? <laughs> no, <laughs> nah, not 40 minutes. I wanted to do a little bit of self-assessment because during this week, um, well, not during this week, during the last few months actually, um, God's sort of been speaking to me about um, my effectiveness, I guess is the, the short way to put it. And uh, it happened back, uh, I really started thinking about this back when we were at Hillsong Conference in the uh, in, uh, start of July, June, July. And uh, I heard a little phrase that uh, really um, impacted me. And it wasn't from one of the guest speakers or, um, you know, there's some fantastic speakers there. It wasn't from that. It was just a tiny little grab from one of the promotional things that came up before each session. And it was advertising this year's conf- uh, sorry next year's conference, and uh, I thought, wow, that is that is so good, and uh, and it just got me really starting to reevaluate where am I at, and um, when I got back to Melbourne, I thought, well, the, the, the kids and stuff in the car we're talking about on the way home, and they helped me flesh some things out, and I thought, there's a message in this, and so definitely when I get back, Mark will call me and say, Daryl. Would you like to share what you got from the Hillsong Conference? And uh, so I waited, and I waited, and the call never came. And uh, he said something last week uh, in his message last week that made me think, okay, now is the right time. And it's amazing because today, today was a set date anyway. And uh, what he said was, um, oh, let me find it here. He said, Jesus came to model and ignite a revolution to love in such a way that it would infect people. And our mandate is to go and do likewise. I thought, God's timing is perfect. He wanted me to speak about this today. And it's not an easy message because uh, I said, Lord, do do I really have to do this? Because I just want to make it clear that I love you guys (laughs) before I start. And uh, and it's more a self-reflection than a reflection on us as a church. But I think a lot of the stuff that I'm applying to myself can apply to you guys as well. So I'm hoping that you get... You get something out of it. So what did I hear? Get that right. That's the sentence I heard. I am a carrier of Jesus. And it got my mind ticking over. What, what does that mean? It's such a simple little sentence. I am a carrier of Jesus. I mean, it's a powerful sentence, really, when you think about it. That, that the creator of the universe, the Son of God, lives in me by his spirit. I am a carrier of Jesus. There's so much power in that statement. So much awe. So many possibilities. I'm a carrier of Jesus is a language of the medical profession. When we think of someone as a carrier, um, we think of someone who has been infected and they're carrying something that could be beneficial, could be dangerous. And I immediately think of how, how would I react if I'm in the presence of a carrier? Am I going to get infected? Is it going to be dangerous for me? Um, and, and sometimes uh, they carry something that can lie dormant for days or for years. They can be infected years before and, and the, actual, the actual external display of the infection never happens until years later. 
I wanted to show a, um, a clip, a movie clip, but I'm not going to. <laughs> um, sorry, Brad, Brad's just relaxed. He's like, hang on a minute, he didn't tell me about that. <laughs> um, I wanted to show how sometimes it's, it's easy to tell if someone is a carrier of something, and sometimes it's hard to tell. And the clip I wanted to show was from a movie called World War Z. I don't know, how many people have seen that? Oh, you heathens. <laughs> Not many. All the young guys down the back have all seen it, of course. It's a zombie movie. And, uh, and I saw it because Brad Pitt's in it, and I love Brad Pitt. <laughs> but, and really, that's why the movie's good, because Brad Pitt's in it. But um, in that movie, I couldn't find a clip that wasn't too scary to show in church, really, to be honest. And I knew the kids perhaps would be in, so I didn't want to throw the parents into disarray. But in that movie, it's very simple to see who's infected and who's not. And I think in the world, it's not quite the case. It's not quite the case to see who's infected. And I have, I have a confession to make. I'm a carrier. I carry a disease that I caught back when I was 14 or 15. And uh, it's a disease, and it's called, I've got the professional name here, it's called, you ready for it? Herpes. Yes, the giggles. Herpes simplex virus 1, or HSV1, which is better known as cold sores. Okay? It's not as bad as you think. <laughs> they say it's a kissing disease, but I certainly didn't catch it that way. And when I was 14 or 15, I don't know what happens these days, I'm sure 14 15 year old people are really, I shouldn't say experienced, but <laughs> they were more experienced than I was at 14 or 15. I, girls were like a foreign, I didn't want to catch anything that they had. And um, so I certainly didn't catch it that way. Um, but I get cold sores um, after my, normally in summer, the first exposure to the sun. I've actually currently got one now, but you probably can't see it, which is great, because it depends where it appears. Um, but uh, I have Peter and Sarita Moore to thank for my first cold sore, because we were concreting at their place a couple of weeks ago, and uh, spent a whole day on a really, really lovely sunny day in the sun, and... Bingo, first cold sore for the year. Now, um, the life cycle of cold sores is really interesting. Um, it starts with an itch. And um, you kind of know that something's coming because there's this itch um, under the skin. And you think, what, what is that? And you scratch it for a couple of days and you think, hmm, it's getting worse. And then, it's, then it becomes like a tingling and uh, you know that a cold sore is coming. And uh, after the tingling, it kind of erupts into this full-blown um, eruption, for want of a better word. And when I was younger, they were, they were much more virulent. They were much more, it was much bigger, it lasted longer, it was uglier, it was all those sort of things. Now I'm older, I'm kind of getting over the infection. Um, it's still there and it will always live in my body. In fact, it lives in about 80% of the population, believe it or not. Um, but it just doesn't always come to the surface. So... Um, during that first um, part of when it's tingling and, and starting to erupt, that's the most contagious stage. That's when it's most infectious. If you come into contact with someone then, you're most likely to catch it. So there's, there's certain times of the year where Deanna won't kiss me or come near me. There's nothing to do with cold sores, mostly, <laughs> but sometimes it does. She certainly, if, if I say I've got a cold sore coming, that's it. Intimacy out the door for the next two weeks. Um, but once the, once the 
infection is over and it starts to kind of, at the end of it, it kind of, this is really disgusting, but it kind of scabs over, and, uh, which is God's way of our bodies healing themselves, just to spiritualise that. And it scabs over and then it, and it kind of, and it heals itself. Now during that period it's not contagious at all. Okay? Um, so why am I telling you this? <laughs> I think my faith has sometimes been a little bit like a coleslaw. And I know when I first became interested in the things of God, um, there was um, this, this itch that I couldn't scratch. There was something wasn't quite right in my world and I needed to know what it was because I couldn't scratch this itch. And then it kind of, as I became in, came in contact with Deanna, um, there was this tingling. And it wasn't tingling up the spine or any of that kind of stuff. It was a tingling of, I, I need to know more about this Christianity. What, what has God got for me that I don't know about yet? And there's more to this. I, brought, I was brought up Catholic and so I knew God. I thought I knew God. I was told I knew God. I told I knew as much about God as I needed to know. But there was this tingling that said, I need to know more about it. And as I got in contact with people around her, people in her family, people that she hung with, um, it, it erupted. My faith erupted into this kind of full-blown eruption. Now, if you had to come in contact with me in those days, you would have been infected like that. Um, I wasn't very subtle. <laughs> I remember my dad watching something on, on TV one day and he asked me a question, <laughs> 40 minutes later, um, I think he just walked out of the room. It, was, it, it wasn't very subtle at all. Um, but my faith is a little bit like that. Um, I, I needed to investigate Jesus, and I found Jesus. I found out about him. And then, because C.S. Lewis said, you know, Jesus, if you investigate him, he's either a liar, a lunatic, or Lord. He has to be one of those three things. And uh, he also claimed... Uh, C.S. Lewis also claimed that God could be understood through the lens of Jesus. If we looked at Jesus, we could understand about God. And so that's what I started to do. And uh, re- regrettably, at some points in my faith journey, um, you would have been hard-pressed to see any infection with me. I was, I was infected with Jesus. And over time, it kind of scabbed over. And it healed, so to speak. And if you had come in contact with me at those points in my life, you you wouldn't have known whether I was a Christian or not. I was still a carrier, but I wasn't infectious. So my effectiveness would kind of wax and wane over my life. I I I would go through this period where it was fantastic and then it would scab over and cool down. And then I'd hear a message about how we need to go and tell people about Jesus and it would fire me up and the infection would break out again and for a couple of weeks I would tell people about Jesus and then it would scab over again. And I, is anybody getting this with me? Is anybody, does this happen for anyone else? Awesome. <laughs> Feeling pretty lonely up here. <laughs> but it, it kind of goes like this, a bit of a sine curve if you're a mathematician. It just goes up and down and up and down. And so one question I asked myself um, over the years is um, if, I'm, if I'm a carrier, well, I've skipped a couple. If I'm a carrier of Jesus, why are more people not getting infected? It really bothers me, this does. Mark said last week that Jesus came to model and ignite a revolution and to love in such a way that it would infect people. And our mandate is to go and do that. That's our mandate. So people should be infected when we breathe on them. 
when we sit next to them on a plane, when we rub up against them in traffic. We're not supposed to have the baseball bat in the back so if someone offends us, we can get out and smash their windows. We're supposed to be carriers of Jesus. But our words and our actions, they seem to um, have less and less effect on people around us and they kind of just go on living their daily lives because I think essentially they see nothing different about us. I'm talking about me mostly, but I'm just including you guys. Jesus is hazardous material and he should be highly contagious. And, And that brings me to another question that bothers me. Have I gone too far? No. Have we taken the one infection that the world really needs and hidden it away in a little enclave called the church? Do we look like this? In a holy huddle with our arms together, having a wonderful time, praying for each other, praying for the world, and that's all we're doing, praying for the world. Now, there's nothing wrong with praying, don't get me wrong. If you're a prayer warrior, that is fantastic. And we should be praying for the world. But if that's all we ever do, the world's not really going to change. The change agents are us. God put us here to affect the change. And just like he breathed life into us, and for me that was about 25 years ago, I should be able to breathe life into other people. But if our heads are under a blanket, or we're breathing out our own fumes. And over the past 50 years, I think the church has become increasingly, increasingly ineffective in infecting our culture with Jesus. And some commentators have used the word irrelevant. Church has become more and more irrelevant. Well, I think that's rubbish. What we have is not irrelevant. We may be ineffective in sharing its relevance, but it's not irrelevant. It's the most relevant thing that the world needs to hear. And uh, mandate, Mark talked about a mandate, and I think mandate is an interesting word. We've just been through a federal election, and, uh, and um, the party that gets elected receives a mandate to do whatever policies or whatever platform they have been elected on. So what they campaigned for in the weeks leading up to election, what they stood for, is what they were elected for. And their mandate then is to go and do exactly what they stood for. Well, you and I are the elected representatives of Jesus in this world. That's what we're here for. And so, as an elected representative, you have to fulfill the mandate that Jesus... What what was his campaign? What was the one word that would describe his campaign? Love. Love. Our mandate is to love the world. Looks sounded like there was a lot of campaign platforms there. <laughs> and they were probably all right. But I think love was the main thing that Jesus wanted to, wanted to get across. Now, I'm not too sure about the platforms of some of these current leaders uh, that we have. I'm not sure that I like all their platforms. Um, but Jesus' platform was love. And it, it was the beginning, the end, and the middle of his message. We used to sing that old song, you know, I'll know, they'll know we are Christians by our love. Has anyone ever sung that? Yeah. I wonder, do they? I wonder, do they know we're Christians by our love? Or do they know we're Christians because we go to church on a Sunday? 
or we wear a cross around our neck. I mean, that doesn't really set you apart anymore because that's all the rock and roll artists like to have a cross around their necks these days. I think our biggest mistake has always been preaching to the converted, and that's essentially probably what I'm doing today, preaching to the converted. And it's almost like trying to infect the infected. We're all here as carriers and we're trying to infect people, but if we never go into contact with someone who's not infected, we're not going to infect anyone. I think you're getting the message. So This is what I've been struggling with the last few months, and uh, I think the one thing that attracted us to this church was its outward focus. This church, Mark, Mark's church focus was, let's get out into the community and do it. The problem is, is that the community and officer is almost non-existent at the moment. It's coming, okay? And we're in this preparation stage for this burgeoning uh, metropolis that's going to be officer, so they tell us. Um, and I think while we're doing that, we need to be out there in the community, not necessarily in the people right around us, but in other communities as well. I mean, we've made a good start. We've got, we've got people in the... Um, in the uh, uh, we're amassing a food bank. We've got mentors in the local primary school. Uh, we're assisting at the soup kitchen. We've established the Liberty Counselling Centre. Um, we're looking, for sing- you know, looking after the single mothers and elderly. We had a black backyard blitz a, little, a few weeks ago. And, and there's a whole lot more in the pipeline uh, that's coming. But as that increases, more and more people have to be involved. And so we don't want to fall into the trap of most organisations in the world where, where 20% of the people are doing 80% of the work. You know? So everyone is needed. When we poured concrete at Peter and Sarita's a couple of weeks ago, um, I only had one job to do. All I had to do was wheel the wheelbarrow. Easy. Everybody only had one job to do because there were so many guys there that it didn't, uh, you know, it didn't matter. Look at that ugly crew. Hey? But everybody only had one thing to do. For Darren, he had to encourage us. <laughs> it's good. He had a sore knee, a sore ankle, so he encouraged us. That was his job. And he cooked the barbecue, which is almost with a bunch of guys, that was the most important thing. But my point is, I guess, many hands make light work. And we only had one thing to do. And my problem is, Jesus has only given me one thing to do. Am I doing it? Am I doing what he asked me to do? So quarantine, I think, is part of the problem. Maybe we've quarantined ourselves and we think that doing church on a Sunday, the purpose here is to equip you to go out into the world. This is not an end in itself. This This is where we start and then we go out. So quarantine, I think, is perhaps part of the problem. We quarantined our infection into this, this small population. But maybe there's another issue. Maybe the population has been inoculated against what we carry. And I think that's part of what's happened too. I mean, if they never come in contact with us, I can understand how the message can't spread. But if we're out there contacting in the community, which I know you guys are, then why? Isn't it spreading? And part of it, I think, is because their immune system has, has kind of been boosted to protect themselves against the message of Jesus. If you look around at our culture, the media, everything tells them that they are the most important person. It's the exact opposite of the Christian message. And maybe the inoculation program has been so intensive for so long that they simply can't hear us anymore. I mean, it worked for smallpox and tetanus and polio. They developed vaccines and then they mass inoculated the population and bingo. 
No more disease. No more smallpox. Maybe people just got sick of hearing about Jesus. Maybe they're not sick of Jesus. Maybe they're just sick of the church. I mean, we moved here because we were sick of the church. Funnily enough. And I think that's the reason why most Christians move from church to church. There's this kind of shifting all the time because we hear a message that we're not happy with and I'm out of here and I'll go to another church and I'll just shift across. And so the level of commitment has really dropped dramatically. So I think there's a bit of, a bit of um, truth in the fact that they watch us preach something that they don't see us live out. Um, but it's not the whole truth. I think most of the population have been unwittingly or unknowingly inoculated. Um, I think our spiritual enemy, the devil, has been much more hard at work than what we have. He works harder, he advertises longer. He's got more media space than we do. I think he owns it. And now I think we're a minority. I mean, I don't even know what the percentage of, of Christians is in this country. The cre- people who put their hand up and say, I'm a Christian, maybe 20%, 30%. The people who attend church regularly, which, by the way, is every three weeks now, <laughs> that's a regular church attender, 3%. The people who attend every week, I, I wouldn't even shudder to think of what that percentage might be. And across Australia, there's 40 churches close every week. They shut them down because they've become ineffective. It's a bad news story, isn't it? <laughs> there's good news coming. Sorry. Just hang in there. Hang in there. So I guess... What, what, I, what I see happening is that we're, we're kind of happy to come to church every three weeks on average, um, call ourselves committed members of the church, we sing a few worship songs, we listen to the message telling us what we already know but refuse to act upon. We drink our cup of tea, make sure we're first there, eat our biscuit, get there quickly before the kids get it. We talk to the same three or four people we always talk to. We avoid the newcomers because that means I have to get a little bit deeper. And then we head back out into our spiritually ineffective lives during the week. And we rate the message today as a 6 out of 10. And we pray that the pastor will do something a little bit better next week. So how do we get, how do we get like this? And it's, this is, just come back, this is just reflecting on where I'm at, okay? It's not reflecting on you guys. I'm talking about how, I'm, this is the things that irritate me about my life and about my effectiveness as well. I think by telling ourselves we're doing okay. And, and I just listed a whole lot of excuses that I've used myself <laughs> over time. I'm doing all I can right now. Life's just too busy for me to commit to ministry just now. Somebody should do something about that. <laughs> I heard that one. Our church is mentoring in the local schools. I'm not, but my church is. Our church is involved in the soup kitchen. I'm not, but my church is. I've been involved in ministry for years. I'm not right now, but I have been. We're really committed to our children's schooling right now, so our tithe will have to wait. 
Any of these ringing a bell? They ring a bell in my life, that's for sure. My new job chews up so much of my time. Sunday's the only family time we have. So we're going to have a break from church for a season. But it all sounds so good, doesn't it? It sounds so reasonable. I mean, excuses are so lame. And it makes the church lame. It makes us limp. It means we're not fully effective in what we're doing, what we want to be doing. Mark's right. We need a spiritual revolution. I found this on, uh, on Facebook. I'll pray for you because it's so much easier than actually doing anything for you, but it still makes me feel like a good person. This friend of ours died a few years ago, Kevin Poole, and uh, I went to his funeral and I, I, they, asked, they had an open mic and I went up the front and I, I said, look, the amount of times that I've said to somebody, I will pray for you, as a way of quickly ending a conversation and moving on to the next person I want to talk to, when Kevin Poole said he was going to pray for somebody, he prayed for somebody. And Kevin Poole prayed for me. He was one of the first people that infected me. Because he actually followed through and did what he said he was going to do. If we're going to have a love revolution, revolutions are not neat and tidy. They're not clean. Revolutions are messy and dangerous and demanding, but they're effective. None of the apostles signed on with Jesus for the superannuation benefits or the retirement fund, or the fringe benefits. They knew it would be hard to, to change their society, but they'd met Jesus. They knew the Romans wouldn't take kindly to their love revolution, and yet they knew that that is what Jesus asked them to do. And so they did it. And the infection that they carried grew at an amazing rate. Now when you watch those movies on infection like Outbreak or whatever, and they have this map of, normally it's the United States, because that's mostly the most important country in the world, and, and they have a map of the states and they see it starting in this small infection in a town and then they just have the map kind of goes red all over the place. That's how the message of Christianity grew in the first two or three hundred years across the, most of the known world. The infection grew because they got out there, they rubbed up against people, they did the things that Jesus asked them to do. But that was then and this is now. And the message of the apostles that worked in their culture don't work so well anymore because the world's been inoculated against the message of the gospel by the vaccines of selfishness and our rights. Remember that ad that used to say, I think it was an insurance ad, the most important person in the world, you. My Facebook feed's filled with that kind of dribble. In a world full of people expecting something from us, remember, the most important person you have to please is yourself. That's deep. That's rubbish. That's rubbish. That's a lie we've been fed by the world. And what that does, it makes us look inwards, not outwards. So in an attempt to make ourselves happy, we've, we've forsaken what God's asked us to do what we agreed to do when we accepted the covenant that he offered us. We agreed to take his message to the ends of the earth, to all people. And the trouble is, 
we need to keep pace with the changing culture. And that doesn't need we need to modify the message. The message has not changed in 2,000 years and it will not change until Jesus returns. The message is exactly the same. What we need to change are our methods, how we get to the people. In the 1950s, most people went to church. So the method of a pastor sitting out the front, giving them a message on a Sunday, worked. They were used to people feeding them what they wanted to be fed. And they went out and they just did it. But our current generation are not like that at all. They're sick of people telling them what to do. The Y-gen, the youngies, they want to experience it. And so if they come to church and have someone like me sit up the front and tell them what they should do and what they shouldn't do, which is effectively what I'm doing, they're not going to change until they experience somebody out there in the world rubbing up against them, living the way that Jesus wanted us to live. That's how to catch this generation. So in medical terms, I guess, the infection that we have needs to mutate to get past the immune systems of the people out there. And so the real issue, I think, is, is an issue, is an understanding issue. And part of this, this is what I've struggled with, I think, and I've, I've, I've been guilty of this. Understanding the difference between a contract and a covenant. Mark Driscoll has some fantastic teaching on this, and I'm borrowing heavily from his, from his, uh, his uh, message. But in its simplest form, a covenant is an agreement between two people, or perhaps two groups of people, or between a group of people and God. And the Bible calls salvation the new covenant. So that's a covenant we all entered into when we invited Jesus into our life. When he came in by the Spirit, that sealed the covenant with God. God's covenant with us is, I will be your God and you will be my people. And I will never forsake you or leave you or forsake you. That's covenantal language. Similarly, the Bible uses the relationship between us and God, it uses the marriage relationship in exactly the same way to describe it. It says, in a, a husband is to look at his wife and say, I will be your husband, you will be my wife, and I will never leave you or forsake you. That's covenantal language. That's not contractual language. Contractual language is very different. If I had to break it down to its simplest form, I'd say this contract is about me negotiating the best terms for me. That's a contract. A covenant is about me giving myself to you for your well-being. That's servanthood. A contract is selfishness. A covenant is servanthood. A covenant is about your benefit, and a contract is about my benefit. So... When I hear people say, well, you know, I think I should get a divorce, I want to start up, you know, God wants me to be happy. That's contractual thinking. That's saying, it's me. It's all about me. God wants me to be happy. God wants me to get what I want. 
God wants me to get what I need. Covenantal thinking is very different. God says, God wants me, this covenantal thinking says, God wants me to become what you need. God wants me to serve you as you need. God wants me to invest in you as you need. So a covenant is about what's best for you and a contract is about what's best for me. It's the difference between selfishness and servanthood. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 to 3, it says, There will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God having a form of godliness, but denying its power. Have nothing to do with such people. Lovers of self means selfishness. That's contractual language. And I think we've forgotten somehow that we have a covenant with God, not a contract. And we've forgotten what we agreed to in that covenant. Maybe we just never had it explained to us. I think we're living under a contract because that's pretty much how the world operates, but it's not how God operates. The Bible is full of covenants that are proposed by God. There's at least seven covenants in the Bible that are proposed by God. And they're fulfilled by God, and they're sealed by God. Every covenant is sealed. The Holy Spirit in your life at salvation is a seal on the new covenant. And in a covenant, God always keeps his end of the bargain. If you read through the Bible, you'll see this pattern of the people breaking the covenants, not God. He promised to be your God, to never leave you or forsake you, and you promised to be his loyal servant, his child, and to obey everything that Jesus taught. And as I say, I think God's keeping his end of the covenant, but I think we might have renegotiated our end of the contract. Matthew 16 says, I'm going to tell you who you really are. And this is talking to us. This is us as the church. You are Peter, a rock. And this is the rock on which I will put together my church. A church so expansive with energy that not even the gates of hell will be able to keep it out. That's the kind of church I want to be a part of. And there's, that's not all. You will have complete and free access to God's kingdom Keys to open any and every door. No more barriers between heaven and earth, earth and heaven. A yes on earth is a yes in heaven, and a no on earth is a no in heaven. That's real power. That is real power. To be a love representative of the greatest power there is, God's power. What would the world really look like if we believed this verse? If we really believed it? It might look a little like that movie Pay It Forward. Has anyone seen Pay It Forward? The kid gets this um, assignment to do it at school, social science or whatever, and he goes out and he does three good things to three different people, and it just kind of spreads like an infection. And they do three things to the next person and so on and so on. It might look like that. It would be a world where we believed in covenants and not contracts. A world where we became 
What God needs to radically change our community, we become what he needs. And perhaps it might be a world that looks something like this. You want more tissues? I have to admit, I, had, I needed tissues the first time I saw that. When we infect people with love, it works. Long term. And I, this morning I wanted to, to honour the person who first infected me. And so, Deanna, up front. I'll stay sitting down so we're the same height. I first met Deanna when I was coming out of a, a, a relationship where I was engaged to be married and it, would, it had broken off and um, I met her and I think I fell for her straight away but she didn't fall for me <laughs> and I wasn't as cool back then. Um, <laughs> I probably had a cold sore. I made you cool. <laughs> Um, I was going to show a photo this morning of, of me with a coal saw just to kind of illustrate it, but it wouldn't have got the message across because I had tips and blonde hair and, and a mullet and a denim jacket, so it would, you would have missed the coal saw, I think. But when I met Deanna, she said, I'm going somewhere, and unless you're coming in the same direction as me, um, I'm not interested. That was really hard for me to hear, but I'm so glad she did that. Stop it. I'm so glad she stood up for what she believed in, because when I rubbed up against her, I'm talking figuratively now, rubbed up against her because we weren't married, when I rubbed up against her, I caught Jesus. I caught the infection. And I'm so glad I did because 25 years later, I couldn't think of any place I would rather be than here in this church and here with this woman. And so stand up for what you believe in because you never know who you're going to infect this afternoon or tomorrow. You young guys, you young girls, stand up for what you believe in because if you're not moving in the same direction as the person you're interested in, there is no future. Well, there is a future, but it's not a very pretty one sometimes. But if you yoke yourself with someone who believes in Jesus, who loves Jesus, then that will hold you together through the tough times. We've been married for 22 years, and they've been wonderful. No, they haven't. (laughs) They haven't been wonderful. Some of the times have been wonderful. Some of the times have been really, really hard. And we wouldn't be standing here and I wouldn't be honouring her this morning for the stand that she made if we didn't have God in our lives. If God hadn't been at the centre of our marriage, and he hasn't always been at the centre of our marriage. Sometimes he's been on the outskirts. But he's always been there. If we didn't have that, we wouldn't be here. We'd be another statistic. And I wouldn't be preaching a message to you this morning. I'd be sitting out there, bawling my eyes out because I'd stuffed it up. So I want to honour you, Deanna, for sticking true to what you believe and for picking me, most of all. That was good. And, uh, And for saying yes, because it took me 20 minutes to convince her to say yes. 
But um, it, not as long as it took her to convince, not as long as it took me to convince her that I'd given my heart to the Lord, because I'm sure she wanted me to do that up the front and a wonderful altar call and everybody would see. But I did it in the privacy of my own bedroom, and so to convince her that I'd already done that, I think just dashed her dreams of this wonderful conversion story <laughs> that was going to happen. But nonetheless, no matter how it happened, it happened. Yeah. Let's pray. Father, this morning I want to give each one of us a chance to willingly uh, reconfirm the covenant that God has so wonderfully offered to us. His path to be our God and to never leave us or forsake us. And he's kept his part. Our part is to be his people and to obey his commandments and to take up the mission that Jesus started and left for us to continue until he returns. It's that simple. The question is, will you do it? Let's take these next few moments just to reflect on where you're at with your covenant with God. And if you need to reconfirm it, then do so. I'm aware there might be people here this morning who've never entered into that amazing love covenant with God. Well, the Bible says that today is the day of salvation. Today is the day to enter into a new covenant with a loving God. And it's as simple as these three words. Sorry. God, I'm so sorry that I've not kept your standards, that I've sinned against you. Lord, I wasn't aware but now I am. And thank you. Thank you that your word says the wages of sin is death. Thank you for the willing sacrifice of Jesus that paid the price for my sin on the cross. Thank you that you offer me eternal life in a loving relationship with you. And the third word is please. Please come into my life in the person of the Holy Spirit. Wash me clean from my sins. Make me holy. Stand in your presence free of the stain of sin. God, help me to live for you and to uphold my part of the new covenant of love between us. Father, I thank you for this amazing church. I thank you for the people here, Lord, that are aware of the covenant that they have with you. I thank you for the people here that rub up against the people in the world every day. I thank you for the people here, Lord, who know how to do your will. Who spend time with you every day. Father, I thank you for a church that is infected with the love of Jesus. Father, I pray that that infection would spread like a wildfire through this community through Officer, through Pakenham, through Berwick, through all the surrounding areas, Lord. Father, would you make us infectious? Would you make us contagious, Lord? Would you break that infection out in our lives so virulent that everybody we come into contact has to say, there's something different about that person and I need to know what it is. There's an itch in my life that I need to scratch. There's a tingle 
that I feel when I'm in the presence of that person from that Catalyst Church. Father, as the, as the band comes to just play one last song, Lord, we just want to say, Father, that we love you and we thank you for that covenant that we didn't offer to you, you offered to us. Lord, I thank you for the day I accepted that. Life hasn't been the same since. It hasn't got easier. It got better. It hasn't been smooth sailing, Lord, but you've always been at the rudder. You've always been directing us. Father, for the sake of the world, would you burn like an infection in us? Burn away the dross, Lord. Burn away the rubbish. Thank you, Father.